Hey everyone, this is Let's Get Practical and Daryl Girardier, and today we're talking about a quick guide on how to write for the web. Let's do this. Welcome to Let's Get Practical. This podcast is about church communications from a practical standpoint. It's about what works and what doesn't. It's about helping you cut through all the clutter and noise and getting straight to the point. Today, we're getting straight to the point on how to write for the web. More importantly, this is a quick guide on how to write for the web. Now, you may be asking the question, how is writing for the web any different than any of the writing I do during the day? Whatever you may do, if you have to write term papers because you're in college or you write emails or whatever it is you work on, you write all day long. How is writing for the web different? And that's a really good question. Uh, the reality is, is that when we're writing for the web, it's different in the sense of the fact of the medium that you're writing on. Uh, I went to seminary uh, and I went to grad school and I obviously learned how to write in a theological way that would make all of my professors happy. I learned how to to style my papers in, uh, I believe it's Kate Turabian style. I learned a lot of those basic fundamental educational things that you're required to do uh, to you know have a passing grade. And a lot of that writing carried on with me into my career. However, when the web exploded and then all of a sudden we had blogging platforms, you had websites and then you go into social media, Facebook, et cetera, all those things, that writing format didn't play well. Really, it really came true when all of a sudden we had mobile devices just skyrocket in the last five to six, seven, seven, ten 10 years. When those things kind of happened, all of a sudden things changed. So when you think about why you should even think about writing for the web, it's not just the fact that obviously you have to think through your audience, but you now have to think about the device they're consuming it on. What are they, what are they actually reading the actual content on? Because that changes things. And that's one of the things I had to learn was, was that when people start consuming your content on a mobile device, it changes how you write. Uh, for a whole host of reasons. One, obviously the screen size is smaller and they're just spending a lot less attention on, you know, paying attention on, on, on the content in front of them. They've got notifications popping up, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever that is, text messages. So you really only have a sh really short amount of their attention span versus if you were doing a book, if you're, I'm sitting there reading a book, uh, especially a paper book, obviously, it's got my full attention for the most part. You know, it's, I'm immersed in that. You really don't get immersed into the web and reading on the web. And so when you write for the web, you have to keep that in mind. And for a lot of staff uh, on church, they typically don't realize that because for them, the most important thing is to convey some sort of theological truth or some sort of thing that they really think is the most important thing about, you know, their event, their ministry, et cetera, whatever that is, but they're not thinking about the medium by which that writing is being consumed. And for a lot of people, that is where the writing tends to fall short. It's not so much in the, in the content or the words you're using, even though that could be heavy jargon and that may not be friendly to visitors. A lot of times it's the format by which it's done in. So I'm going to walk you through two guiding principles that you use when you should be writing for the web. And I'm going to walk you through a quick formula that'll kind of shape how you write for the web in such a way that people will read it. So two guiding principles for writing on the web, for writing when you're writing on websites, when you're writing in terms of the short digital type of post. First thing is this, always write in bullet points whenever possible. Bullet points are your friend. You want to write 
in bullet points because bullet points keeps everything looking succinct. It might not be nearly as succinct. You may take a simple paragraph and then break the paragraph up at the bullet points. It's the same content. You're just visually separating it out. So the fact it looks like it's more consumable to the end user. They open up something up and they see it's bullet points. They're more likely to consume it. Specifically, if you start bold titles inside those are bold keywords that you want them to scan quickly and make sure they get bullet points helps the reader realize, Oh, this isn't going to take that long. I can kind of get in, get the information I want and I can get out. The second thing is, is you want to think about spacing. Spacing is not bad. I know that when we, you know, back when you were in college or in high school, you love to figure out ways to space your paper out. So the fact you could finish that five page paper that was due. So you figured out every single way to increase the margins, increase the space, use the right font, all those type of things. When I talk about increasing spacing, it's not so you can fill space. Spacing breaks things up to make them more consumable. So think about the space you have in between sentences. So that's why bullet points are great because it automatically provides spacing. So you kind of want to visually space things out. Now, I mean, I'll be honest with you. That was a little difficult for me to understand because I came from a traditional environment that said every par- every paragraph has to have four to five sentences, introductory, closing, you know, it's the typical, you know, grammar school rules. In fact, that's kind of how my brain was wired. And it was really wired that way, partly because side note, I failed my college exit exam uh, from grad school for writing uh, because I, I wrote and I did a creative style format when I wrote the assignment in the test room. And what I didn't realize what they were wanting was a simple introductory paragraph, three body paragraphs and a closing paragraph. And I was like, Oh, you want the standard format. And the problem is, so I just assumed that standard format is the way everything should be done. The reality of it is, is that's not how you write for the web bullet points and spacing. Those are my two guiding principles when I'm writing. Can I make this in bullet points? Can I space this out in such a way for that's easy for people to read. Now, here's a quick formula when you're writing for the web that I think works really well when getting people to actually not only just read what you've given them, but actually act on what you've given them. So here it is. And the formula is ADA, A-I-D-A. Let me walk you through each four of these points in this formula. The first one is A, and that stands for attention. What you want to do when you're writing for the web is you want to make sure that you start off by grabbing that person's attention. And the, probably the easiest way to do that is start off with the question that you know is going to be a yes. So example would be this is you could start off with the question of, would you like a more God honoring marriage? Um, would you like to, you know, raise kids who have their identity in Christ. I mean, obviously if you're in a, on a church website or you're dealing with somebody who is in the church world, the answer to this is going to be yes. So you automatically get a yes. When you get a yes, as a positive affirmation and they'll want to go on to the next thing. So I start with something that's going to grab their uh, attention. It's typically a question and something that I know they're probably going to say uh, yes to. Uh, if it's no, it's maybe I'm trying to surprise them, kind of shock them. Did you know X, Y, and Z? Uh, but I typically want to start off with a positive. So I always want to start off with a yes. So I find a question that I know my audience is going to say yes to. And that's A, I'm trying to grab their attention. Then I go to piquing their interest. So at this point, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get them to kind of draw them in a little further. And so one way to do that is you can add facts. You can add stuff like, did you, you know, it kind of starts with like, did you know, or, 
you may not be aware of, but yada, 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 whatever it is, something that kind of makes them say like, Hey, yes, you agreed. This is something you, that you think is important when I grabbed your attention. And did you know this about that thing? Did you know 50% of all marriages end in divorce or something? If you're, if I'm talking, if you're doing something with marriage inside of your church, you want to do something that grabs their interest kind of piques their interest and pulls them in a little bit further. So I typically use facts for stuff like that. I, there's various things you could do, but I'm trying to get their interest. Um, it also, by the way, lets you, there's a, the other thing you can do inside of here is you can also do something by which you let the audience know that you know where they're at. Like, so in other words, if you say the question would be is, uh, the intention grabbing question is going to be how, you know, would you like a God honoring marriage? Then the interest grabber doesn't necessarily have to be a fact either interest. It could, it could be, it could be something. In fact, we all know marriage is difficult. We all know yada, yada, yada. We understand boom, boom, boom. So I, I'm, I'm getting three or four things that get their interest because guess what? I'm letting the audience know, I understand you. I get you. I understand where you're at. And so all of a sudden is, is you form this bond with the audience. So that's another way to grab their interest as well. Then I get to D and what I want to do is I want to create the desire. Specifically, I want the really the desire for change. So here I'm going to basically offer up the benefit of whatever it is that I'm telling them. So if it's me trying to get them into a small group, I'm going to tell them about the benefit of going to the small group. If you go to the small group, then this will happen. If you do this, then, you know, if you do X, then Y will occur. Now that's something that we typically don't do. We don't typically say what the value proposition is when we're talking about stuff inside the church, because for us, the value benefit should be just the fact that church asked you to do it. And therefore, you know, you want to have community with believers, et cetera. And it's, it's kind of this almost, um, thing where we really don't kind of, kind of define it. And, you know, it's almost intuitive in terms of it's this abstract thing here. I'm actually telling you to be a little bit more concrete, like tell people, if you do this, then this will happen. If your kid comes to VBS, then they're going to learn the following things. If they go to summer camp, if your teen goes to summer camp, the following things are, they're going to learn the following things that these things will happen. So you want to clearly create that benefit that will create a desire for them to want that benefit. So I'm grabbing their attention, I'm getting their interest, and then I'm creating a desire for change and specifically the desire for that benefit that you've listed out. And then the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give them a clear call to action. They say, if this is you, if you want this, if this is something you're interested in, whatever that is, I'm going to give them the thing that says, then do X. So then click here, register here, go here. I want that to be super clear. Too often what we do is with our register, with our calls to action is we don't let them clear enough about what the next steps are. We kind of want to leave it open-ended. And I'm telling you, the more clear you are and the more single focused you are in terms of this is the one thing we need to do, click here, do this, the better off response you're going to get because you've clearly defined the call to action. And by the way, make that call to action super easy. If it's on the web, it should be me clicking a button. I put in my name, maybe my email address, and I'm done. Uh, don't ask me to go call something because if I'm asking me to call something. The, now I've got to take out my phone. I've got to find the, open up the phone app. I got to dial the phone. It, you just, it goes on down the line. If I'm on my phone, I, yeah, I could click it and I could call call, but you know what's a lot easier. It's just me sending the form because I may not want to deal with somebody. Make it frictionless as possible. Make that call to action frictionless as possible because the reality of it is, is by making it frictionless as possible, you're going to get a better response. So that's the ADA model. That's attention, interest, desire, and action. And the first two principles I talked about were making sure that you use bullet points 
and then you use proper spacing. In other words, proper spacing, spacing that's going to space things out. So the fact that people can read things in small, quick chunks so they can get in and get out. You know, when people do that, when you, when you kind of follow this model, you're going to find a better response rate. And also you, people are just going to read your stuff a lot easier because they're going to keep things short and tight and they can get in the information they want and they want to get out. That's how people treat the web now. They get in to get the information they want and they get back out. Whether they want to build community, they want to have like conversations, they'll go on Facebook, Instagram, they'll find other apps, other opportunities to do that. But that's not what they want to do with your copy. They don't want to immerse themselves in a long thing about Charles Spurgeon. They want to get their information. They want to get in and get out and make sure you do that. When you do that, when you write for the web, you're going to get a better response and you're going to, it's going to get more the, all the time you spend on writing that copy and finessing that copy, you're going to get a, a return on that time that you spend doing that. So there you go. That's how. That's a quick guide on how to write for the web. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do me a huge favor. Click on the subscribe button inside of iTunes, Stitcher Radio, wherever you're listening. I really appreciate appreciate it. Or you know what? You can also go on to any of those places and leave us a rating as well. We would love that. Until next week, you guys take care. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.